0: not such a good time. It was not the best of times for the people of Israel. For two full generations they had endured captivity under the Babylonian empire. They had been taken away from their homes. Their homes and all that they knew in their homeland had been destroyed and they were carted off uh, to the uh, nation of Babylon which is modern day Iraq and for two generations they would sit there and be a part of the life and times as I talked about uh, last week. They would truly be strangers in a strange land. And then God would say all of this captivity, all of this um, slavery, if you will, uh, would be for one reason, and that was to rebuke the people for their wandering hearts. They had pursued other gods, they had pursued other things, and God said, if you wanna live like the pagans, then I'll allow you to live amongst the pagans. And as a result of that, they were a part of this great captivity. Jeremiah is told that 70 years, and the captivity would be over, and God, true to his word, would, would keep to that timeline. And he would bring in Cyrus, King Cyrus uh, from uh, Persia, which would be modern day Iran, to take over the Babylonians. And moved by the Spirit of God, Cyrus would be compelled to allow uh, the nation of Israel to return back to their homeland for one purpose and intention. And that was to rebuild their temple. God had spoken to Cyrus and said, I want my temple rebuilt. And even though Cyrus was in many ways a pagan king and and authority, he heeded the word of God and he opened it up to any and all Israelites who wanted to return to their homeland to be a part of the restoration process of a nation beginning with the temple. Of the millions that had been carted off to Babylon, 50,000 would take him up on his offer. 50,000 that we learned who had a heart to go back and make the name of God and the place of God in his dwelling a place of marveling once again. Cyrus, even though he was a pagan, would even raise funds to make sure that the house of God was rebuilt. And so the people of God, 50,000 of them, you can see uh, the tribes and the areas where they come from in Ezra chapter 2. And you can see the amount of money that is raised for this great building project uh, in Ezra 2 as well. They head off to Israel, and they get to Jerusalem, and they begin the process of rebuilding the temple. And here's what begins to happen. They clear away the rubble, and they build the foundation, and then the work stops we're gonna find out today why the work stops but for 16 years the house of God would lay in ruins and God after 16 long years of letting people do what they wanted to do God had a word for him and is the first of four messages that God is gonna share with the people of Israel through the prophet Haggai and we're gonna learn from it this morning If there is anything that I would want you to walk away from this morning, it is the word priorities. Priorities is all throughout this first chapter, and it is so important that we understand this this morning. So let's stand for the reading of God's word, Haggai chapter 1. We're going to go all the way through the full chapter, which is 15 verses. And let's see what the word of God through the prophet Haggai has to say to the people of his day and us today. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into bags with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it became to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts. Because my house lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you will withhold the dew. And the earth has withheld its produce. All I have called for. And I have called for a drought on the land. And the hills on the grain. The new wine and the oil on what the ground brings forth. On man and beast and all their labors. Then Zerubbabel governor of judah and the spirit of joshua the son of jehoshadak the high priest and the spirit of all the remnant of the people and they came and worked on the house of the lord their god on the 24th day of the month in the sixth month in the second year of darius the king let's pray God I want to please you this morning I don't want to please men Lord I want to speak your word today not words that would make us feel better Lord unless you would want that so Lord give me words and give me clarity of thought as we deal with a subject matter Lord that I think each and every one of us needs to consider our ways this morning. Lord, I pray that it would start with me. Lord, as you've worked over my heart, as I've studied this passage, Lord, you know the the struggle that I've gone through considering my own ways, Lord. Now, as I speak these words, I pray that my friends and my family here would do the same so that you might be brought praise, that you might be glorified, that your presence would be with us and that we would accomplish the tasks that you have for us. Lord, that's what it means to be the people of God. And Lord, I pray that you would grow a remnant from within us to do that today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. By the way, I know that it's difficult to find the book of Haggai, and if you haven't found it yet, There's two ways you can find it. Number one, the table of contents is always a great place to start in a book, Uh, but if you uh, want just the answer, it's page 791 in your pew Bibles this morning. Well, we come to the first of the four messages of the book of Haggai, and Haggai speaks on the subject matter of priorities. Priorities were true 2,500 years ago as they are true for us today today. Getting them right is of great importance. You see, inherent within each and every one of our days is the multiplicity of things that you and I are called to do. We've all got them. Those things that fill each and every one of the days of the week Whether they are work or appointments, activities, or a myriad of other things, we find ourselves as Americans coming and going. And one of the most often used phrases that we have in conversation with people when we are asked how we are doing, our answer is we are busy. We're busy doing things. All of the technology, all of the stuff that's at our disposal today has not made it easier to live life. In some ways, I wonder if it's made it all the more difficult and yet amidst the millions of details and the bevy of events we find ourselves asking the question that is at the foundation of everything we do and that is the question what things are most important today we talk on the subject of a priority or priorities that word priority is a simple word if you don't understand the definition of priorities just take the root of that word prior Priorities are that which come before something else. That which comes prior to other things. The people in Haggai's day needed a refresher course on their priorities. Their priorities for some 16 years had been messed up. Might I add this morning that much of at the foundation of of what ails the church today is that we, the people of God, have our priorities all out of whack. So let me say something that I rarely say on a Sunday morning. Well, I hope you listen to all of my messages. If you don't, this is a week you should. Because God's got a word for all of us. And the truth of this message will do every one of us a great deal of good because we are called to heed these words and twice in our passage God is going to look to us and he's going to say have you considered your ways have you given careful thought to the things that you do but before he gets into us considering our ways he gives a biting accusation and chastisement because God wants his words for the people of Haggai to cut deep God in his words is sharing with them words That is supposed to evoke some sort of major change quickly in the lives of the people. And I believe that God wants to do that same work today. So how are we to get about getting around the right priorities? Notice there are three points this morning. I'll give you just a heads up. My first point is by far my longest, so stick with it, and we will get done on time as we always do. So point number one this morning... If we want to understand how to have the right priorities, we must recognize and know that we have a propensity towards prosperity, a propensity to pursue prosperity. That is, we want to live lives that are thriving and healthy. We have this natural inclination in ourselves to live for self. How do I know it? it's inherent in who I am I am more concerned about Tim and the struggles and the issues and the things that I need to worry about myself that I rarely at times find myself thinking about others and even more importantly thinking about God you see I believe God desires for us as Christians to be prosperous but herein lies the problem God's definition of prosperity is very different than our idea of prosperity And what we have done is we have put a group of teachers around us that tell us that our job as Christians is to be happy and to be full of great times and good things, to take care of ourselves and make sure we have all that we need and then give a little bit out of the abundance of all that we have. But here's the thing. When you see what God says about prosperity, he doesn't talk about how you feel. He talks about things like sacrifice and service and love. And a life that literally is giving itself away. But many of us don't find ourselves pursuing that kind of prosperity. We find ourselves, while wanting to follow God, just as the people in Haggai's day did, finding ourselves following the world. You see, when we come to the doorways as are behind me, these object lessons that we're going to have each week, when it comes to the question of what is going to make me prosperous, I can tell you that we usually go to our left far off, more often than we do our right. Well, how do I make sure that I'm prosperous? Well, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to take care of my things. I'm going to get what I want. And as a result of that, we learn that this propensity is deep within who we are. now notice a couple things about this propensity towards prosperity number one it affects even good Christians it affects even good Christians I'm speaking to a group of good Christians this morning but let me remind you that the people in Haggai's day were pretty good themselves they had left the land that they had known for two generations to go back to ruin and rubble for one intention and purpose in mind to rebuild the house of God That sounds like some pretty good people. Sounds like some people that had their priorities right. They knew that God was important. But what their lives failed to show in those 16 years was just how important he was. Let me be honest with you. I struggle with this a lot of the time. I want things. I want to be comfortable I spend far too much of my life focusing on what I need and on the things that I want. And I'm going to believe that many of you find yourself in the same place. How do you know? Just look at your calendars. What is on your calendars will dictate what is going on in your lives. What about the purchases that you've made? You see, the problem with prosperity is it comes to us... And instead of putting it towards God and saying, God, what would you have me do with this money? What would you have me do with this time? We go back to ourselves. Notice in verses 2 through 4 what God says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say it is not yet time to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Therefore, says the Lord, consider your ways. In verses 2 through 4, God asks the question, what are you doing? God's asking that same question of us this morning of every one of us this morning what are you doing with what I've given you I've given you another day to breathe I've given you another day to live life and what are you doing with it and he asked that question of the people in Haggai's day and he says all the while whatever you're doing it has nothing to do with my ways it has nothing to do with my plans and my purposes because my house has lied in ruins for 16 years And where have you been children of Israel what have you been doing? Where have you focused on your time? Where is your attention? Is it towards this propensity to pursue prosperity? The answer in Haggai's day was yes. And if you think that it isn't the same way, you were sadly mistaken this morning. We just like the people of Haggai are focused in on self. How do we know that? Because it is most, see, most clearly seen, write this down, it is most, see, most clearly seen in the choices we make. They're building their homes, the scripture says. Now let's stop here for a minute. Come on, God, are you kidding me? You want us to be without homes until we build the temple? Well, in some ways, no. God is saying, you know what, hey, uh, Put up some structures, have a living space, and get about the priority of building my home. So that's what they do. But here's the problem: sixteen years had passed. Now I am no carpenter, but I gotta believe that it doesn't take sixteen years to build a home. But it did for the people of Israel. Now was it because lumber was in store uh, shortage? No. What had happened was they weren't just building their homes. They had not just taken 16 years to put the lumber together and, and the, the work together to build the house. What they had done is built the buildings and then started building their lives. And they had engaged in building around themselves instead of building on the foundation of God. You see, every decision that they made amongst those 16 years, while the house of God lied uh, laid in ruins was the sin of idolatry Calvin was right John Calvin said that the human heart is a factory that builds idols all the time amen John Calvin but you say Tim in this passage there's no mention of pagan worship There's no mention of statues. Where is the idolatry? Idolatry is far more subtle than that. It is not just about statues. Remember, the first commandment says that we are to have no other gods before us. And the God of Haggai's day was not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but the God of comfortable living in houses and lives that focused in on self instead of God. So every day they went about their lives. They forwarded themselves on a trajectory of falling farther and farther away from God and farther and farther into idolatry. And nothing is different from that truth today. God's house lies in ruins and the answer they give is excuses. Notice excuse number one is it is not the right time. I want you to understand this morning that they're not saying that they were against rebuilding the house of God. No one is sitting there going, hey, really, do we need to build this thing, God? I mean, come on. Do we really need it? I mean, you're a bigger God than one that will dwell in a building, so we don't need to build it. They don't say that, nor do they say that they wouldn't help. It wasn't like, yeah, you guys go build it, but, but we're not going to do it. That's not their excuse. They were all in it. They were all in, if you will, In word, but sadly, words are not where priorities are found. Priorities are found in action. Gandhi once said, Actions express priorities. Well, I may not agree with all of Gandhi's thoughts, I agree with that one. See, if I was to ask you this morning to write down three of your top priorities, I'm gonna believe I'm gonna see God. I'm going to see family, and then, you know, some of you are going to maybe say work, and some will say church, and and all of that. But those first three are going to be pretty close to one another. But let me stop and ask you, are those really your priorities? Is that really how you spent your week? Because if I was to ask the question this week, where did you spend most of your time, where did you invest most of your money, What things were you most passionate about this week? Can I tell you this morning, with all humility, your answers will change dramatically. God is telling the Israelites that priorities aren't determined on what we put on a piece of paper, but it is determined by what we do. And based on what many of us did this week, we've got it way wrong. How often have we had this week and in weeks prior the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ only to say what the people of Haggai did? It's not the right time, God. It's not the right time. How many times have we come to church and seen and heard about opportunities to serve only to say, well, I would do it, but I don't have the time. I don't have the energy or I don't have the gifts to be able to do it. Excuses. And yet God calls these people to task. Is God not calling us out as well today? Us who have such good intentions, and yet we see very little of them come to fruition. Their failure was our failure. We don't put God first. Now notice what this then does. It leads to unseen consequences. It leads to unseen consequences. Here's the stupidity of God's people in the past, and quite frankly, here's to our stupidity this morning. We think we can say that God is first, that we can write him on the list. Can, can I tell you something? I get nervous about some of the songs we sing because I ask the question, and I hope, I hope this is a part of your thing. It is dangerous to sing some of the songs that we sing. We sing a song today that God is more than enough are you kidding me? He's not more than enough. Because we leave this place and we got to have more stuff and we got to have more titles to our name and we got to pursue more things. And then we come in on Sunday morning and we say, Well, God, you're more than enough. I don't need anything else. You're my only desire to leave this place and desire new things and better things and bigger things and more comfort. And yet, we sing these songs and we have no idea sometimes the words that we are singing, the empty words we're singing. And here's the stupidity behind it. We sing them and we think God's going to be okay with them. Oh, there goes that group again, just singing those empty words. They don't mean it. And the th- how frustrated I get with my children when, at important times of their life, important moments where they need to speak from the heart, they say, words that are shallow and empty well I'm sorry no you're not It just made me a whole lot angrier as a father you didn't mean what you said and there's this thought that we can say to God yeah you're first in my life and then live contrary to that in everyday life that we in everyday lives that we live That he's the greatest priority And then in our actions we show that it's anything but that and we expect God to bless our work. This was true in Haggai's day, and it's true in our day today. And you know what God says? You're not gonna get away with it. And notice what he says in verses six through uh, verse 11. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you will never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord, consider your ways. Go up to the hill, bring wood, and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord, why is all this happening? He says, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Those are some pretty biting words. And what he is saying is the following. When you place the emphasis on your own personal goals and comforts, is it going to help you or is it going to hurt you? Sadly, it was hurting the people in, in Haggai's day and they were totally unaware of it. Notice what's going on. Planted much, harvesting little, drinking up but still being thirsty, clothing themselves but still cold. They get money, but they put the money into places that have holes in it. Later on, he says, you expected much, but you got so little. I don't believe there's a sadder set of verses that encapsulates the problem with the evangelical Christian culture today. You know, agriculture was the chief occupation for these people. And what it shows is a perpetual pattern of working and never being able to rest because of the inability of them to be satisfied. Haggai was a prophet and so was Mick Jagger because he said, I can't get any satisfaction. And he says, I try and I try and I try and I can't get it. How true is that for us this morning? There's an old Dutch expression that says, the harder I try, the farther I fall behind. That is true for many of us this morning. You see, we, we live in a world that wants bigger houses and nicer cars and, and more entertainment and more games and more vacations. And yet, people are more miserable and unsatisfied. And some of the most miserable people I know, some of the most unsatisfied people I know are Christians in this church. Because they have put other things, remember, good people, putting other things as more important than God. And so what does God do? And here's the thing. What God does is an immense measure of grace. He says, I'm going to bring leanness to you. Do you think this whole housing bubble issue wasn't a a season of God's leanness on the people of America? I mean, think about it. We bought houses we could not afford, and then we turn around and we blame the banks that it's their fault. No, no. We don't need the things we have, and we kill ourselves to get it, and then what we think is going to happen doesn't happen. You see, what Haggai said is you expect a lot and a little returns. Oh, but I thought my house was going to be worth this. I thought I was going to make a buck. You know what? What happens is, is we put money that we make into purses with holes in them. Brothers and sisters, I believe God is trying to teach us a lesson, and it is so important for us to hear because Christians, just as much as the pagans, fell apart in this market downturn. And for many of us, not all of us, but for many of us, it was because we pursued things we should have never had. The psalmist speaks of this truth in Psalm one hundred six fifteen. He says this, God gives them the desire, but sent them emptiness to their souls. Let me read that again. God gives them the desire. What's the desire? You you know what? You're not going to listen to me. Remember in Romans 1, God gave them over to their desires. God says, you know what? If you want to pursue those things, I'll let you have it. But here's the problem. In those things, you're going to find emptiness in your souls. So what does this then lead to? It leads us to chasing after the wind. A statement that Solomon... Made. And Solomon understood this because for his early years of life, he pursued that which he could find in work. He pursued that which he could find in pleasure. He pursued that which he could find in power and prestige. And after all of it, he said it was vanity. It was like chasing after the wind and so this is what happens to people of God in Haggai's day and this is what happens listen people of Village Bible Church when we put other things before God you become that hamster that's inside that little wheel who's running their little legs off getting nowhere and God has got a word for us today to stop doing that Stop pursuing that kind of way. The practices and pursuits of our life are filled with worthless pursuits and endeavors. It's pathetic at times. So what are we to do as followers of God? We need to first understand and acknowledge that if this is how we're living, that the way we're living is worthless. It is worthless. It's chasing after the wind. That though it seems right for us to live this way, that there are ways that seem right to man, but in the end lead to destruction. And so where do we find this path? Notice there is a path that leads to proper priorities. Well, the answer was clear in Haggai's day. What did they need to do? They had a job to get done. He says, I want you to go up to the hill I want you to cut down some trees, and I want you to build me a house. And that was easy. I wish I could just say, you know what, here's the job. The job that we have as Christians in in 2013 is we need to consider not living the way we've been living and just go and be a part of a building project. Well, there's no building project to be had this morning. But for us, we must look to the words of Jesus. In the book of Matthew, on his great Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us what it means that once we evaluate and consider our ways, that the way and the path towards the proper priorities begins by what he says in seeking first his kingdom and righteousness. You can find the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 uh, through, verse, uh, through chapter 7. And at the end of this sermon, he, he puts it in a nutshell. The job, the proper priorities you and I should have is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What this means is if we want to pursue the right priorities, it begins with continual effort. Continual effort. When Jesus says the word seek in Matthew, it's a verb that is given in a command form. What he's saying is hey, if you got no other options, maybe seek my kingdom. No, what he says is, hey, the way that you're going is destruction, and the way to true obedience and true prosperity is to seek, which means continuous, continuous activity. It's a word that embraces several thoughts. What does it mean to seek first? It means to look for, investigate until you find, strive until you obtain it embodies the idea of a strenuous effort and activity. To seek first the kingdom means that Christians are to prioritize not their interests, but the interests of their Lord. He goes on and he says, not only you to seek a continual effort to do so, but we're to do it first. It means, it means to, signific- to signify a degree. The degree is that God is first place. God is above all. God is the one we are to serve especially. He is the one that has to have total preeminence. So we are to continually, actively pursue who? God, the one who has first place, the one who no comp- there should be no competition over. And what are we to pursue? What are we to seek first? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God there in the text is literally the reign of God in your life. So here's the question. Is God enthroned in your heart in such a way that your entire existence is governed by his rule? Is the creator of the universe a mere appendage to your life? Is he a sometimes weekend, casual point of interest? Or is he your all in all? Now, you can write down, yeah, Brother Tim, you got it. He's my all in all. But I'm going to go back to the thing. Priorities are not found in words but in action. So when are we to seek the kingdom of God? Every day. Where are we to pursue this kingdom? In every way. And that's why Paul says that whether we eat or drink, even in the mundane things of life, we are to do so to the glory of God. But in order for that to happen, in a world that bombards us with its priorities and pursuits, we've got to engage in what Haggai tells us is a constant evaluation. God says in the text twice, we are to consider our ways. To take stock with regards to our decisions. To ask the question, is what we're doing right? You see, that's never easy to do when we put it before God. And so you know what we default to right away? We go to asking the question, well, how am I doing in comparison to others? Well, look, I mean, I'm doing a lot better than so-and-so. And what we do is we find the saddest, sappiest person that calls himself a Christian. And we say, well, compared to him, I'm doing pretty well. Or compared to her, I'm doing pretty well. Here's the thing. The judgment seat of Jesus Christ will have nothing to do with anybody else but yourself. It's not going to be about what so-and-so did next to you in the pew sitting next to you. It isn't whether you uh, served the most at Village Bible Church in the days you were here. It has nothing to do with anybody else. It has to do with the person of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. God doesn't... God isn't impressed with the house you live in He's not awed by the cars that we drive, the nameplate that's on the office, the degrees that you have on the diplomas. He's concerned about how obedient you are to him and to his reign of control in your life. He's focused in on what you did for him and his kingdom and how you pursued his pursuits, not your own. So it's time for all of us to consider our ways are we choosing God's ways or our own which door behind me are you going through in your decisions of life whose business are you most excited about yours or his which one do you give more time and attention to yours or his so do some asking some questions today how am I spending my time How am I spending the money that God has so graciously given, which really is His money? What are the goals that I have for my life? What do I think about the most? Is it about God and His kingdom or is it about my kingdom? To you, what looks successful? Is it living like your neighbor or is it humbly living as Christ called us to, seeking His kingdom first? It's going to bring into question how we spend our leisure time. It's going to ask the question, how we engage with people. Why do we ask these questions? Notice the text says, they do so. Why? Because the people feared the Lord. They feared the Lord. And there's not a whole lot of fear in our eyes this morning. We care more about what other people think about us and what we have than what God cares And we forget that one day we're going to stand before God and our eternity is going to be determined on how we lived in this world. We need to consider our ways as people. But you know, we need to consider our ways as a church as well. I want to speak to all of those this morning who call Village Bible Church their home. If you're newer to our church, you've maybe been here a month or so, Um, I want you to know what you're going to hear is not a word to you, but you're a mere observer to some family business this morning. We don't do this very often, so this isn't something that happens all the time. But I want you to know, visitor, I love this church. I love it. It is filled with great people, people whom I call my family and my friends. This is not a job. It is a passion of love to be able to preach to you each and every week. And that's why it makes some of these words difficult to share. I want you to consider as a church two ways this morning that I believe come right out of this text. And I would say that while the people of Haggai's day were pretty good people and so are you, God's got a word for us this morning. The first area that I want you to consider your ways this morning is in the area of giving. In the area of giving. Can I tell you, it's an appalling thing to me that we are almost $100,000 under budget in our giving. Now, if you're new to the church, you're gonna learn that this is the first time I've talked about giving in I don't know how many years. So you can't say I'm saying something over and over again, but I'm talking to our people. It's appalling that we're almost $100,000 behind budget. And you ask the question, maybe our budget's too high. Well, we ask those questions to our stewardship team. And we said, hey, uh, without giving us specifics about people and, and, about, and about certain numbers, we just want to know, can, can you help us out? How is our pattern of giving? And what we learned of the 260 families that call Village Bible Church their home, we learned this at the family forum, 97 of those 260, about one-third, have given more than once a month in the first five months of the year. What that means is that giving is not a priority in many of our families, and in many of our houses. Now here's the thing, if you are a person that doesn't care about God and his work and his kingdom, well then I'm not talking to you, but if you say you love God and that God is number one and if you were to write down what's number one priority and you write God, then let me ask you something, why isn't it showing up in your giving back to God? Why is it and why are you missing out on that? God has called us to give sacrificially from our heart in proportion to our giving, in a, in a proportion to our living, in a systematic way. And so that begs the question that why a major part of our giving is token gifts of 10 or $20? That's not in proportion with our giving. What, what I learned as a, a young man. And I don't remember who taught me it, but as a young man, I was taught, you know, when we talk about giving, we talk percentages. I am so glad that when God saw us in our sin, he didn't give a percentage. He gave a person, his son. He didn't give part of the person. He gave all of it. And so what I've come to learn, and this is, please do not take this as a boast in any way, but Amanda and I have made this dedication. If we truly write that God is number one in our lives, then I want you to know something. The biggest thing that we write every month is to God. And I don't say that to boast. Please know my heart with regards to that. that's taken time to get there. But I don't want on my piece of paper to say, God's your number one, and in my checkbook, he's number six or seven. He needs to be number one. It's not just with regards to money, it's regards to all of it. But how is it that we can find ourselves so far in the hole? I'm going to tell you something. There are things in this building that we need to fix. This house in many ways is in ruins. Our front doors are in a lot of need of work. And so what we do to our guys is we tell our guys, just fix it. Just, just, just do whatever you can to fix the job because we can't buy new ones. We need carpeting to be replaced. We've got ministry endeavors that we want to uh, get to uh, be a part of that we can't because the money isn't there. And it isn't that the money isn't there. It's that we're choosing to put other things as priorities before God. And I will tell you, as much as I love this church, as much as I love you as a people, shame on us. Shame on us. Because we have the audacity to call ourselves Village Bible Church. And then we don't follow his ways. Number two. Number two. With regards to our service. Can I tell you one of the things that frustrates me the most as an elder in this church is we spend more time trying to recruit people to do ministry than we ever do at times getting around to doing ministry what that means is we spend more time trying to get people to be a part of it and and what we hear is i'm too busy i've got this going on i've got that going and gee whiz i would love to but but i'm doing this and i'm doing that or we're going to be out of town for this or out of town for that and i ask the question if god is number one and in the ministry, remember God said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God's number one program, hear me out, is not the family, it is not uh, our uh, workplace, it is not our vacations and leisure time. The number one program that God has put together, the reason why Christ died was for his church. And so when we say that we don't have time and we don't have energy to serve God in the ministries that are there, what we are saying is God is not number one, but he's way down the list. And so what happens is is it fleshes itself in a couple ways. Number one, we just say no when people ask. Can I tell you in every one of our ministries right now we could use help. Mario has some of the greatest things going on in student ministry right now. We learned at the family forum. Great things are happening in the student ministries. And what does he say? We don't have leaders We've got the kids. I mean, that's half the fight, isn't it? To get kids to show up to to learn about God's word. They're excited to be here. We don't have leaders. Deb Nieder says uh, all the time, we need people. The kids love coming to Sunday school and children's worship and VBS. We don't have leaders. And so what do we begin to say? We say, well, we can't do it. But here's another issue that we do. What happens is, is we say yes to it, but it's not a priority. We expect it to be. You know, see, here's the thing. You expect for ministry to be a priority for a guy like myself. I'm dealing with some sinus thing this morning. Aren't you glad that I didn't call in at 8 o'clock this morning and say, you know, I'm just not feeling up to it right now. My, My sinuses are burning right now. But it's a priority. It has to be. You want it to be a priority for me. But when it comes to ministry, many of us will find any excuse to say we don't need to do it. We don't need to be there. And because of that, God falls down the list. God is all about his ministry, and God wants to see his ministry advance. And when we say no, or we don't make it a priority when we do it, we fail God. And we are blinded by the consequences. Let me tell you something. Here's the amazing thing. What ministry is not being done right now? What missionaries are not being supported? We got a letter from um, Ben and Missy Hatton uh, this last week. They are, and I mean, my goodness, talk about a heart of, um, of, of ministry. They have taken their family of six to New Guinea. They've put themselves in the bush with people that have never seen white people before. And they've dedicated the entirety of their lives to being with that people so that they can learn their language, learn their customs so that they can one day share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And we found out this week that they don't have any money to be able to continue on with their process, that the building of their home there and the, the cost because of fuel and all of that has cost them a great deal more. Even if we wanted to give to that, we don't have any extra money to do so, and the Hattons are only one of so many ministries that we could be doing with that. And so here's the thing. We want much, but we harvest little. And the unseen consequences, we will not know of what our holding back in service and in giving to the Lord is keeping back. My goodness, what God could be doing in this place if we would get our priorities straight. God wants us to consider our ways. God wants us to consider whether the way we're living is right or not. So I give that to you. I give that to you. Not. I don't want to guilt trip you into it. And please don't think that. I don't want to see giving for one week go up because the guy talked about it. I want to see us build a pattern. And I'll tell you, a great project for us would be that we would never be lacking in resources to do God's ministry. And we would never lack in the people. Because Jesus said the harvest is ripe but the workers are few. Let's get there. I know we can do it. I know you're true to the task, but maybe we've allowed some things to get in the way. Let's change that. Well, Finally, we see that God promises some great things when we put them first. The people get work. They get to work. And in verses 12 through 14, they get the message. And I pray that we get it today. And they get to work and they start obeying God together. And notice the four things that happen when they start building the temple. Number one, he says to them that this pleases God. It pleases him. Notice he says, build the house in verse 8, so that I may take pleasure in it. God is pleased when he is number one. God is most glorified in us, John Piper says. He is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You want to bring glory to God? Find your satisfaction in him. Let him truly be your all in all it pleases god samuel responded to people asking about burnt offerings and he said the following in the old testament does the lord delight in birth, burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as he does obedience to the lord to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams God wants our obedience because it pleases him. Number two, it praises God. Notice he says that this will uh, bring him pleasure and that he will be glorified. If we want the name of God to be elevated and raised higher than in every way possible, then let's start living our lives for that end. And it's not easy. It's a difficult daily pursuit of saying, God, you're number one. And asking with every purchase that we make, is that which pleases and praises God, or is it about me? The way we spend our time, is it, is it the way that pleases and praises God, or is it about me? It praises God when we put him number one. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, and that as we live as living sacrifices, this is holy and pleasing to God, and it's our spiritual act of worship. Worship is not simply about us standing and singing songs. It is about us living life and putting him number one. Number two, it allows godly projects to be completed. The temple was built. The task was completed. How great would it be one day for us to look eye to eye with our Savior and say, you know what, because we put you number one as a church, because we put you number one as, as people, we were able to accomplish by your spirit these things for your glory and for your sake. Godly projects can be completed when we get together and work hard to serve God. Number four, it allows us to experience God's presence. I want you to notice something. Notice he says in verse two, these people, he doesn't speak of them as his people. He speaks of them as these people. I want you to know when God is not your number one priority, God looks at you and says, I don't know what that guy's doing, but if he's not doing what I need him to, he's, he's not with me right now. But notice when they obey, notice in verse, um, verse uh, 13 that the Lord changes his tune because of the people's priorities. And he says, I am with you. Do you want God with you this morning? Do you want his presence to be with you? Do you want God to be with you in your pocketbook? Then give to him. Do you want God to be blessing your time? Then give back to God. If you want God to bless you and your family, then make God, make your family see the importance of God as a priority. We need to put God first. And when we do, God says, I am gonna be with you and I'm gonna bless you in ways that you've never thought were possible. It was true for Haggai's day and it's true for us today. And so here's the thing, priorities are important. Priorities are the very testimony of what is important to us. It's what we tell the world. And the question is, what are your priorities saying about you this morning? Are they saying God's number one? As a Christian, they should. And I pray that that's the case for each of us as we look at Haggai chapter one. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you this morning. I thank you for your word. And and Lord, I'm struck by what you have to say to us this morning. And Lord, I'm sure that there are some today that will respond in a myriad of ways one Lord they'll respond by simply saying there goes the pastor just yelling and screaming about things I pray that wouldn't be the case Lord I pray that they would recognize that that these aren't this is not a message I would want to preach Lord but the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet and because it seemed fit for you to share it with God's people then we are told that your word is living and active now And Lord, if we are followers of yours, we should delight. We should delight in hearing these words. It should be a delight for me to preach these words. But Lord, because our priorities are out of whack and because we find ourselves more focused in on our comfort, uncomfortable words many times make us angry. So Lord, I pray you would soften our heart this morning. I pray you would soften my heart this morning. I pray that you would work in my life. Lord, my priorities aren't right. I'll admit it. They're not right because there are so many times about me and the stuff of this world. Lord, break our heart to the priorities that we have so that we can turn and follow you in full allegiance and full pursuit to make you the priority. God, we need your spirit to do it. We are told in the text that you stirred the heart of the people. Lord, we need you to stir the heart of Village Bible Church today. Stir it in such a way that we would serve in a new way, that we would give in a new way, that we would honor you not only with our lips, but with what we do so that you may take pleasure in our work, that you may be glorified in it, and that we may accomplish the work you have for us here and to the othermost parts of the world. Lord, be with us, we ask. We can't do it without you. So give us your spirit in a new and profound way this morning. Lord, as we leave this place, I pray that you would lead us to these priorities. If we don't know how to get there, Lord, that we would ask questions. And that the elders of this church would help lead us in that way so that we may know which way is right and pleasing to you. Now, Lord, send us off into the world, Lord, that lives very differently Let us be a light in that world, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you all. Go in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ serving him. You are dismissed.